save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. This episode contains real, narrated experiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening and welcome into Disturbed. I'm your host, Chad. This week, I'm bringing you four true horrifying tales that are primed for this spooky season. It's time to face your fears. So brace yourself for episode 24 of Disturbed. creep ever closer to Halloween. Of course, we'll be here the entire time, feeding you those true, terrifying tales. Tonight, our first experience comes courtesy of a Reddit user who prefers to remain anonymous. Narrating this story is our own Addison Peacock. This is an occurrence that takes me pretty far from the setting of most of my other encounters, and finds me in good old Ohio. You see, I was on hiatus from my life in general at the time, debating a fresh start in a new corner of the country. I'd been in Ohio before, though only for a short time, and my memories of it were quite fond. I decided to go back there and see if I still felt the same way about it. I was not employed at the time, but I had a substantial source of income due to the fact that I do tattoo work. It was my tattoo work that allowed me to rent an extended-stay motel room for the time being, and was unfortunately also the reason that this encounter came to pass. I'm going to cover this now to save questions later. I'm not a licensed tattoo artist, though that is soon to be changing and was not licensed at this time in this state. I am, however, a good artist with excellent sanitation practices, as two people in my life are professional licensed artists and taught me everything I know. Back to the story. I got a text from somebody who had seen a post about my work. She said her name was Kimberly, and she was interested in getting something done. 
We talked a bit and compared schedules, all that fun stuff. We were at odds with our timing and decided that I would meet her at her job to further discuss it and so she could see my portfolio. Kimberly worked at a small deli not too far from my motel, and I headed over there at the appointed time. It seemed as if it was empty, with only one car in the lot other than mine. I grabbed my equipment and went inside, and the little bell dinged, and a little Asian man came out to the counter and asked how he could help me. I said that I was looking for Kimberly and explained that I had business with her. He said, sure, hold on, and came out into the lobby area of the deli. Then he went over to the front door, pulled out his keys, and locked it. It was one of those doors that had no other locking mechanism, only the key. I couldn't have left without the key. It was needed both ways. Then he turned to me and he told me that he was Kimberly and told me to sit down. I reached into my pocket for my phone and realized that I had left it in my car. Then I went to the door and tried it anyway. Of course, it wouldn't open. The whole time, Kimberly was staring at me with a smile. He told me again to sit down. So I did. I asked him why he had locked me in, and he said it was for our safety. I gave him the benefit of the doubt. He looked harmless, and we were in a bad part of town. He started talking about the tattoo, asking questions. He wanted to know if I could do portrait work, and I explained that I could, and that some of my portrait work was shown in the post he'd gotten my info from. He said he needed seven faces and wanted it to be a whole sleeve. This was beyond the scope of anything we'd discussed. And I told him it could be done, but it would take a while and have to be more than one session. This seemed to make him uncomfortable. He asked how long, and I said I didn't know. It's hard to estimate portrait work as each pick presents its own unique challenges. He asked how many sessions it would take, and I said ideally one for each face, but that I might be able to do two at a time. Then I asked him who the people were, if they were family. He didn't answer me right away, just got this spacey look in his eyes and seemed to stare through me. After a while, he did start talking. The first one he wanted, he said, was a woman he'd known in high school. I found it strange the way he said it, like you don't just get casual acquaintances' portraits tattooed on you. You just don't. So I asked why he wanted her tattooed on him, and he told me that it was because she had been his first kill. I just sat there in disbelief. Didn't even know what to say. He started talking again after a few minutes. He said that all of the people he wanted portraits of were people that he'd killed. He also said he'd killed more than that. Many more. But that these were his favorite ones. I didn't know whether or not to believe him, but given the situation I was in, I didn't really want to find out. I asked him why I should tat these people on him when he'd probably just kill me afterwards too. He looked legitimately surprised and told me he'd never even considered it. Odd, especially knowing that I knew where he worked. He went on to tell me some really horrific things about what he'd done. Things I won't even repeat here. 
He gave me names and locations and was going to give me the pictures of his victims for the tattoos. He said that before long he would get caught and he wanted these tats on his arms so that he'd never forget their faces while he was in prison. I don't think that this man felt that I could be any kind of threat to him. He was so casual about everything, wasn't really even defensive in the least. But I grew up in the hood and had done several years in prison and knew how to handle myself. I didn't really even need to know how, as it turned out, because I stood up and hit him once and he fell down, seeming to be unconscious. I took the key from him and unlocked the door and ran to my car and left in a hurry. I called the police to report everything as I drove, and this is where it gets really scary, in my opinion. They dispatched officers to this deli and sent one to my motel room so I could file a report about everything. The officer that showed up looked puzzled when I told him where it had happened and asked if I was sure. I said I was, and he told me that deli had been closed for a few weeks now because the owner had disappeared. The owner's family apparently believed the owner had went to Hawaii for whatever reason. I guess he'd told them before that he was thinking about it, but he hadn't been in touch, so they had reported him missing. I told him I was sure and that I had proof I still had the keys to the place. The cop went pale, looked pretty disturbed, but wouldn't say anything more about it. I gave him the keys and he left. Later on, through means I can't mention here... I found out a few things that were pretty disturbing to me. One of them was that the owner's family hadn't been able to access the deli at all because it was locked up, and they had told the police that the owner had been the only person with keys. I never heard any more about it, but I did a little investigating of my own. I searched all of the names that he told me and got a few things from it. I can't be certain of these things, as they were unrelated to what happened. I got hits on two of the names. The first was a prostitute with several arrests for the prostitution. The arrests weren't in this area, but they hadn't been too far away either. The second was a similar story, but several drug charges and no prostitution, and like the other, she wasn't in the area, but wasn't far off either. No hits for missing people under those names at all, but a prostitute might not have anyone who would report the missing. Same with the narcotics woman. That, or the people who would possibly report her missing, assumed she was on a using binge somewhere and neglected to report her missing. I found nothing at all about the rest that seemed to be related. I don't know what I believe about all this, but I leaned toward the possibility that this guy was dead serious. His demeanor, that vacant stare of his, him locking the deli up... His behavior practically screamed that something was wrong. I left Ohio very shortly after this happened and went home. I haven't been back there since. If you enjoy what you're hearing, consider supporting us through our fan club. Members enjoy perks like shoutouts, early ad-free episodes merch store discounts, and bonus episodes of Disturbing Calls. Find out more at disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club. Now folks, our next experience is not for the faint of heart, 
and needs a major trigger warning. If you are sensitive to graphic domestic violence, you may want to skip ahead on this one. But there is a reason for this story, and lessons can be learned from it. This experience comes to us from Reddit user SassyPants5, with narration by our own Nicole Goodnight. And if by some chance you realize you're the lady referenced in this story and you're listening, please reach out. The Reddit user who posted this experience would like to get in touch with you. Years ago, I pushed really hard to make sure my daughter got a cell phone at a pretty early age, around 12. My former spouse did not really understand why this was such a big deal to me. I could not really explain it at the time, but I had a reason why I needed her to have a phone. And part of it was from my own experience as a young, 14 years old, babysitter. I loved babysitting for Jack and Diane. Not only were they the coolest couple ever, but their kids were sweet and so fun. They had a little toddler boy, Matt, and John, the baby. Jack was a biker, and he often picked me up on his Harley, which was one of the most amazing things ever. And his wife loaned me a lot of her leather clothes to wear to rock concerts. They went out partying a lot and paid well. It was like a dream job. They were out clubbing that night. I had put Matt to bed and rocked John off to sleep. It was a cold night, so they had taken the Mercedes instead of the bike. It was so late. Even with checking on the sleeping kids regularly, I was getting sleepy. It was never an issue. They did not mind at all if I dozed off to sleep, which I did this night. I woke up with a start, heart pounding. I have no idea what woke me up. Neither of the kids woke up, and there was no noise. But for whatever reason, I was wide awake and terrified. I had just gotten my panic under control when I heard a car door slam shut. I looked out the window and saw they were home, so I went to open the front door. Diane came in, and one side of her face was horribly swollen, and she was bleeding. Stupidly, I asked, did you get into a fight? She raced past me to the phone at the dining room table and started dialing. It was an old, tabletop style of phone. Jack came in next, flying past me and screaming. He grabbed the heavy phone receiver from her hand and bashed the side of her head. Blood splattered across the wall. He ripped the phone from the wall. She screamed back, holding her very bloody face. He smashed her head into the wall, and then she staggered, gushing blood into the bedroom out of sight. I heard more screaming and the ugly sounds of blows landing when she came tumbling out of the bedroom, thrown through the hallway into the crib, waking John. She crawled out of the room as he cried and Jack dragged her into the hallway and screamed at the baby to shut up. I was terrified and did not know what to do, so I went and grabbed the baby, cuddling him and turning him away from the image of his dad, straddling his mom and choking her. The silence as he settled was almost scarier than the screaming. Was she dead? I got John settled again and came back out into the living room. I did not know what to do. Diane lay on the floor, broken, bleeding, barely recognizable, but somehow still breathing. Jack told me to sit down as he dialed a number on his cell phone. I slowly perched on the edge of the couch. 
Diane crawled to me then, gurgling words past the blood. She begged me to protect her babies. I just kept thinking that I was just a kid, too. Soon, a bunch of Jack's buddies were there. A few of them said they would take Diane to the hospital. Jack asked if I would stay with the kids. Diane started screaming. If I stayed, he would rape and kill me. I said I just wanted to go home. One of the guys said he would call his wife to stay with the kids. They left with Diane. Jack looked at me and told me to get in the car. He would take me home. I had no way to call for help or a different ride. The whole way home, I just tried to stay calm. The turn to my street was at the bottom of a dip. We approached the turn as Jack kept telling me how he did not want to go back to prison, how he would do anything not to go back to prison. I kept nodding and agreeing as he took his foot off the brake and drove past the turn. I looked at him, horrified. I just want to talk. I need to calm down before I go home to my kids, okay? He said. We ended up at an all-night donut shop. He had a coffee and donut got me something and and spent more than the next hour telling me how he was not a bad guy. Prison had changed him. I was less than five kilometers from my home, but no way to call for help, and no one knew where I was. I just tried to be supportive and agreed with everything he said. He paid me $50, which was a lot for back then. Finally, we got back into the car and he drove me home. It was one of the longest nights ever. I woke up to a police cruiser outside my house. Diane refused to press charges. About a week later, I got a letter from her apologizing for everything, taking all of the blame. Sometimes I wonder if she left before he killed her. I wonder if those sweet kids grew up to be good people. So that is one reason why I made sure my daughter had a way to call for help. University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland news producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows let me introduce you to barry clue an authorized financial advisor from new zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point 
when you're wrong. That was all fictitious. She stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Who Kitchen. Who is a family-founded chocolate and snacking company focused on creating products that match ultra-simple ingredients with unbeatable taste. Built on a strong mission to help people get back to human, Who only uses simple, real, and responsibly sourced ingredients. Who obsessively vets every ingredient to unite unbeatable taste with unmatched simplicity. They go beyond what is easy and expected to ensure that their products and practices are ethical and put both humanity and human body first. All of whose products are gluten-free, dairy-free, refined sugar-free, and aren't heavily processed. Use code POD for 15% off your next purchase at whokitchen.com. That's code POD, P-O-D, for 15% off at hukitchen.com. And find out why Who helps people get back to human. The internet can be a tool for many things. And sometimes, bad people use it for bad things. Coming in with our next experience, we hear from Reddit user Poppy June. With narration by our own Alexandria Tucker. For context, I, a 20-year-old female, started an OnlyFans account over the summer to support myself through school, and things were great until I posted my Amazon wishlist. Amazon doesn't release your address to people who gift you items, but third-party sellers can, and that's where I went wrong. In late July, I got a puppy. One night around 2am, I took him outside to go to the bathroom. While he was doing his business, I noticed a car parked outside my family home. I saw a figure in the car and could tell they were looking at me, but I couldn't make out their faces because it was pitch black outside. Feeling a bit uneasy, I picked up my puppy to take him back inside, and when I started to move, the car parked in my driveway. I sprinted back inside and locked the door, but they never approached my house. The next morning, I went to check the mail. There was an envelope addressed to my OnlyFans name with $20 in it, but no note. I was currently still at home with my parents, who had no idea about my OnlyFans account, so I didn't mention it to them. A week later, I moved back to my college town to get ready to start school. At this time, I had stopped posting for the time being until I could figure out how they got my address. I've watched enough crime shows to know that there's a possibility I could be in danger. I live in a duplex with a gated parking lot, for reference. One morning, I was planning on vlogging my trip to Target because I was planning on starting a YouTube channel in the near future since OnlyFans felt unsafe. 
when I got to my car, it had been ransacked and my vlogging camera was missing. I know, it's my fault for leaving it in the car, but I was using it the night before and since I live in a gated area, I didn't think it would be unsafe. It wasn't in plain sight either, I had hidden it in my glove box. I used that camera to film my content and the SD card that was in there had all of my unreleased photos and videos. I know they stole it just for the SD card. Anyways, this is where the story gets weird. There are cameras outside in the parking lot, so we were able to watch this person break into my car and find the camera, and they didn't touch any of the seven other cars in the lot. They knew which car was mine, which suggests that they had been watching me for a bit. After that, they got the camera, they walked down the duplex until they stopped near my window. My bedroom face is an outside street and my blinds are broken, so it's very easy to see in. I have a curtain, but it doesn't cover my window all the way. This person watched me sleep for an hour or so. I have no idea why they didn't try to break in, but thank God they didn't. This person then sold the camera to a pawn shop, and since I knew the serial number, the police were able to find it. However, my SD card was missing. I believe the police are still trying to track them down, but I've broken my lease and moved to a new place, so hopefully that will keep me safe. Hey, guy who terrorized me at my home and apartment and stole my camera, let's not meet. And here we are, nearing the end of this week's episode. But before we go, I want to take you to another timeline, quite literally, with Reddit user Alex saying that, and I'm proud to introduce our newest narrator, Caroline Sweet. So I don't really know how to explain this, or if it even fits on this sub, or even what actually happened if I'm being honest. But regardless, I will try to relay the story. I was driving to work this morning, and I'm coming up a side street that connects to a very busy road in my area. It's the main road that stretches through like 20 towns. I get to the red light at this main road and sit there for about... 15 seconds before seeing a car pull up behind me. As the car comes to a complete stop behind me, my eyes drift from the rearview mirror to the stoplight in front of me. It was red still. I then look down to my radio clock and it says 7.36. And this is going to sound strange, but for a period of time that seemed to stretch on until affinity. I kind of felt like this intense pressure all around me, like I was zoned out and couldn't clear my head or move my body because I was obsessed with the numbers I was seeing, like I was in a trance or something. And it wasn't silent around me, but it was at the same time, like very, very loud, pressing silence. I couldn't move, but I also wasn't trying to move, almost like I was paralyzed with fear and knew I was frozen but couldn't really process it or try to move I don't know I really can't explain it even now it's so confusing to me after who knows how long of being stuck in this trance 
suddenly everything snaps back to normal, instantly. And the very first thing I register is that the person behind me is laying on their horn. I look up and see the light is green. I begin to drive forward, feeling completely 100% normal again. And once I get into the middle of the intersection, I sense this large presence to the left of me. I turn my head to look out my driver's side window, just in time to see a huge truck coming right at me. And it hits me, and I could feel my body break. I felt and heard so many of my bones get absolutely crushed. Suddenly, I'm upside down in my car, in so much pain, I can hardly breathe, covered in glass and I could hear someone screaming. The last thing I remember before I passed out, about 10 seconds later, was seeing cop lights and distinctly thinking to myself, wow, how did they get here so fast? The next thing I remember, I opened my eyes at the red light. The intense pain I felt a moment ago is fading fast, but it's still there, only almost like a ghost version of itself, if that makes any sense. I'm intensely confused at this point, and I start looking around in a panicky way, and my eyes trail across the clock again. It says 7.36, and I'm just, I'm beyond confused. I know it wasn't a daydream. It was so goddamn real. I'm frozen in place staring at the clock trying to figure out what the fuck just happened. After about five, ten seconds, I hear the person behind me start to beep at me, but I'm shaking and about to cry and I'm so overwhelmed with leftover fear that I can't even react to it. They start to lay on their horn and I still can't move because I'm just so confused and frightened. Now, at this point, I was starting to calm myself down and trying to rationalize what happened. I was beginning to convince myself that it had to have just been a daydream. It was early enough and I was tired enough and I even started to think I just nodded off at the red light and dreamed the crash. What the hell else could have happened, right? But... If it weren't for what happened next, I probably would have been able to go the rest of my life believing I had fallen asleep and dreamed it. The moment the clock turned, 7.37, like the very second the numbers changed, a huge truck comes barreling through the light, definitely speeding. They ran their red light and crossed right in front of my car. A few seconds later, a cop, who must have just been driving behind the truck in the first place, runs the red light as well, turning on his lights in the process and beginning to pursue the speeding truck. They both drove out of my view within a few seconds. I was so shaken, I just pulled my car to the side of the road right where I was and sat there in silence for I don't even know how long. Like. What normal explanation could I possibly come up with for this? There isn't one. 
I hadn't seen the truck or the cop car before they ran the light in front of me. So how did the dream crash I had include those very specific and very real details? The entire area I live in is covered in trees. So it's not like I can see very far down the road in either direction. I know for a fact I did not see the truck or the cop car before I experienced the crash. I'm still so shaken. How do I rationalize this experience to myself? I feel disillusioned by something, but I don't even know what. I feel like I'm going crazy. I needed to share this with people who won't automatically dismiss this as a hallucination or a dream. Fan club members at the Platinum $10 level are receiving their additional bonus story right about here in the podcast. To get that little extra fix in every episode, you can join the fan club at the Platinum level right now at disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club. If you've enjoyed this episode of Disturbed, the best thing you can do is subscribe wherever you're listening. Leave us a rating and review and tell a few friends about us. All of these things help new people discover the podcast and keeps us growing. It's all greatly appreciated. If you want to ditch the ads and get some bonus episodes, hop in our fan club at disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club. That electrifyingly scary score you heard in this episode comes courtesy of Kevin Hartnell and White Bat Audio, with additional production and editing by yours truly. Special thanks to all the contributing narrators and submitters of these stories. You'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. You can see more info on our website, disturbedpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at disturbedpodcast and on Twitter at disturbed underscore pod to stay up to date with all the latest disturbed news. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search Disturbed Podcast and shoot us a text at 701-354-3667. Let us know what you think of the podcast and where you're listening from. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Stay safe out there, y'all. episode is made possible by Supporty. Are you struggling to stay motivated to the goals you've set for yourself? Maybe you're trying to wake up earlier, but you keep hitting that snooze button. Or perhaps you have dreams of starting your own podcast or side hustle, but you haven't been putting in the work consistently. Well, one of the best ways to make lasting behavioral changes is with an accountability partner who will help you stick to positive daily actions. So how do you find a reliable accountability partner who's going to engage with you and keep you honest? Supporty is a mobile app that matches you with accountability buddies for a week at a time. Supporty pairs you and a buddy up one-on-one. That's for maximum accountability.
plus it's mutual. So you encourage your buddy and they do the same each day of your seven-day session. What's really cool is you can see whether your partner accomplished their daily actions and they can see the same about you. If you want a more effective way to stay motivated, experience the difference of an accountability partner. Download Supporty. That's support with an I at the end from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and make sure you choose Disturbed Podcast when you create your account to start your two-week free trial. You can check out the show notes of this episode for more details. Get encouragement, get motivated, and achieve more with Supporty. (laughs) 